Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Broadcast Podcast. How are you, Kim? Where is our applause track? We keep saying it. This is part of my GoFundMe applause track (laughs) page. That's what we need. It's just a separate account. Anyone would like to donate us an applause track, or if people would like to come and just applaud (laughs) when we're in studio. Like that would be good, but yes, but in, I'm happy to see. You. In order, I'm I'm very happy to see you too. But yes. you know, in order for uh, people to be able to do that, yeah. they're gonna have to find Just us know first. Where we are. <laughs> they need to That's know where right. we're at, and so they can follow us on Twitter at broadcast pgh or on Facebook at the broadcast underscore pgh and Instagram at the broadcast underscore pgh. And our website is broadcast hyphen podcast dot com. I'm we getting are, so good at this. You are really getting good at it. It's almost like you've done this before. It's almost like I'm reading it. I know. But I'm not. No, but it's right off the top of our head. We also should mention that if you'd like to support the show, and who wouldn't want like Come to support on. this show, Seriously. you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash broadcastpgh. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you'd like to sponsor or otherwise partner with the show, we'd love oh to my talk God, to you. New best friend. really love to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> drop us a line at broadcastpgh at gmail.com. Uh, and we would like to thank our current Patreon supporters who are sticking with us and helping us, you know, mm-hmm. scrape it together and keep it together. Um, Lisa Earl, Teresa Kaufman, uh, thank you so much for being such great supporters of the show. We have other supporters who don't want to be named on there, but we, you know who you Anonymous. are. We thank you too. And they're and not my family members. They're in case not family, anybody was wondering. That we, the first time we had a Patreon supporter who was not a family member, we were like, what? We're so legit now. We're a real podcast. It's like so real. Yeah. But if you'd like to support us in any other way, we are open to suggestions. Mm-hmm. We are not, uh, we're very uh, flexible. We're not shy. We're not shy. <laughs> we're flexible. <laughs> we'll talk. Let's talk. Let's have, let's have coffee. Yeah. Coffee. Whatever you need. So um, before we get too far afield here, yes. we have someone really great in the studio with us today. Yes, we do. Um, one of my favorite Pittsburghers, Yuling Bear, and... <laughs> Applause, 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 applause. <laughs> and uh, Yuling wears many hats, but oh my gosh. yeah, we were actually discussing all of the hats that she wears before the sh- we went on air. And, I was getting tired. Yeah. And literally it was like, okay, well, which ones are we going to talk about? Right. Because Yuling, we, don't we only have, have a half an hour seriously. here. <laughs> so I think we might focus on the fact that she is a CEO, which is pretty incredible in and of itself of the Sandra Cotavid handbag and jewelry collection. And what's so great about this, and we're going to let her discuss more about what makes this business very unique. Um, there's just a lot of girl woman empowerment happening. And that's one of my favorite things about. It's so up our alley. Yeah, yeah. About Yuling is everything that she does, everything that she touches, it really is seen and shot through that lens. And so you really feel that through all of the work yeah. that she does in the community, not only with just uh, the handbag collection, but with a lot of her nonprofit work and her volunteerism as well. Okay. So we're really setting it up for you, you yeah. Wow, that's like the best <laughs> intro ever. Yeah. <laughs> so how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on right before your big trip to Taiwan. Oh, yes. Well, exciting. it's exciting. And plus, then I'll be able to take this to Taiwan and tell everybody to tune in. I know. Right. <laughs> International audience. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your work. Yeah, so I joined Sandra Cotavi in 2013. My partner Sandra Ryman started it um, two years earlier, and you know it's it's really interesting. At that point in my life, I felt like I had to reinvent myself. I felt mm-hmm. I had um, done what I wanted to do prior, and I wanted to look for something new. And Sandra had gone through something similar, and I was mm-hmm. really taken by her story of 
you know, if she were really to pursue her dream, what would it be? And for her, it was to design handbags, really high quality, beautiful handbags. Um, she's from Colombia, so all our things are made in Colombia. Um, they're hand stitched. We take care to use a vegetable dye with the leather that we use. We do not use, we do not get rid of any waste. We reuse everything. So all of that made sense to me. The jewelry is just absolutely gorgeous. Mm. The way that it's done on a bronze plate. And then dipped in 24 karat gold. And really, again, the quality is there because we dip it seven times, not just three times, which is what a lot of um, jewelry companies do. So I was drawn to it. Mm -hmm. But then the thing that really just sealed it for me was when Sandra started talking about how she was going to give back. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, tell me more about this. Um, And so, you know, Sandra and I both really believe that women have to help other women. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, it's so important to have that kindness in you and to give people a second chance. And so in Colombia, due to the drug trade, um, there's a lot of women who have been left with children because their husbands get caught up and unfortunately they get killed. And so we actually go to the churches to find these women. They've been shunned by their family. A lot of times they've never worked in their life. And we find them and we offer them a job. Wow. We can't hire them full time, but for the period that we are able to hire them, we pay them double the hourly salary that they would get somewhere else. And we treat our, we treat them as one of our employees and um, our artisans teach them how to be assistants. And so they help make the handbags and jewelry. And so then therefore they're able to learn a skill and then they can go work for another designer. And so to me, that was like the most powerful thing about the company was it wasn't just another accessories company. It was one that really believed in high quality, that believed in taking care of the environment, and most importantly, giving back and empowering other women. What would happen to some of these women if you hadn't intervened, most likely? What would the trajectory be? I I think they would be working in a really low-income job Mm -hmm. that didn't see any way of getting out of it. Mm -hmm. With this, you know, you can start to move with other companies. You can start to dream about maybe one day producing your own jewelry Mm -hmm. line or handbag line, right? You're starting to learn a skill set, and you could take it to wherever you want to take it. That's what I really love about the the mentality of this. It's not about just a hand out, right? It's about that hand up and giving somebody a skill set so that they then are able to move forward with their own life. Yes. I have to steal that phrase. I hand up. I like that. (laughs) You know, and I think about my own life, like I've never been in that type of situation, Mm -hmm. but I've had women help me and not just in a way of like, oh, here, let me just make a phone call and get you a meeting, Mm -hmm. but more like they've helped me understand like how to present myself. Um, the type of research you should do, how to um, follow up appropriately. And I think all of those things have really taught me that it's important to take time to give back. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of your what you're all about, though. I mean, even right. not, not even with this project. You were involved in a lot of projects where you're working with the community and you're giving back. Um, Kidsburg is a good example of a project that you that is near and dear to you. So tell us a little bit about how that came about because you know you started off. You, you were telling us before we went on air that you started off. You were a musician. You were with the symphony for a long time, and then decided you wanted to move on to the next chapter. So so what made you want to do something that was involved involved children or involved you know giving yeah. back to the community. So Pittsburgh is an online resource, and it's dedicated to just covering all the awesome things that are happening in Pittsburgh for kids and all kids, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and we we really focus on smaller nonprofits, on little stories, 
things that people are doing that you might not realize are happening in Pittsburgh and in a positive way. And so I first got drawn in. They needed an ambassador to go out and tell people about it. And I'm a mom of two girls, four and six years old. And I want them to know what kind of resources are out there for them and that they can do lots of things at the library or there's these free events that you can go to or things that you can do at home as um, a parent-daughter relationship. So I just started reading and talking about it and it just kept growing and it's it's really awesome. I mean, we have nearly um, 30,000 followers on Facebook and we're doing really well and, and just kind of getting out into the community. So to me, it's important to just share. I mean, that's the other thing that I've never understood about people is if you find something really good that's good for everyone, go tell everyone. Yeah. Don't keep it to yourself right. yeah. as a secret. That makes no sense. And so how do you... How do you think something like that fits into Pittsburgh? You know, it, I think Pittsburgh has, we've talked about this with other guests, mm-hmm. that there's a, as a culture of philanthropy within this community, but sometimes they're a little bit siloed and they don't necessarily connect well with each other. So so it sounds like what you're doing is there's, there's all this stuff that maybe people don't know about as far as Kidsburg is concerned and, and you'll mm-hmm. be able to shine a light on it. Do you think there's ways we as a community could be working better? Because it seems like everyone's working towards that same goal of helping mm-hmm. and shining a light on things or what are some of the the challenges you see or some of the things that we should be doing maybe a little differently that could be more productive so i think actually pittsburgh has become quite a collaborative city Mm -hmm. i see it a lot through remake learning days and where tech companies will work with schools who will work with after school programs and different nonprofits, and i think that's what it is it just needs to be more of that but it just has to be an authentic relationship i mean i've seen people say oh, I can provide this and you can provide this and we should work together because then maybe we'll get more money. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually have a real relationship. They're just yeah. doing it to try to get more funding. Yeah, yeah. It's just very opportunistic. That's yeah. a good way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think the best things I've seen are things that have happened over an informal coffee meeting and they talk mm-hmm. about it and you can see people get really excited and they're like, we're just going to do it because we know deep down it is good to do yeah. and we're going to do it together. And so I think when things like that, whether it's between organizations or between individuals, or whatnot, that is when something beautiful grows. Yeah. And having two daughters, do you feel a sense of duty or responsibility to encourage them down this path, this this leadership path, this philanthropy path by putting these things in their in their sphere? Absolutely. I mean, I I worry so much about my kids growing up in this age. It's both mm-hmm. an exciting time and also um you know, as a parent, a bit fearful with Mm -hmm. the technological advances that have happened and all the things you read about cyberbullying. And, you know, I, I, um, you know, I think a lot about some advice that people have given me about parenting. And one person, um, Ted Dintersmith, said to me that he had read a book and that when your child is born, you need to help your child make basically 100% of the decisions. But by the time your child leaves, you need to have taught your child how to make 100% of their own decisions, yeah. right? Mm. So I think my husband and I talk a lot about this. And we try to instill in our girls um, that kindness and empathy is most important above anything, mm-hmm. right? And and to have curiosity and to not be afraid to try new things. Um, I'm really proud of both of my girls. Um, we There's a nonprofit called Beverly Birthdays that we just love. I know it's you do great too. It's a nonprofit, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it's a nonprofit that um, throws birthday parties for children experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're always in need of new birthday gifts. Mm-hmm. And so every year since um, Catherine was three, so this will be the fourth year that she's doing it. Tomorrow's her birthday. Aww. Um, 
she will donate at least half of her birthday presents to Beverly's birthdays. Wow. And we've really talked about it. And I think that's the thing is you can't, you, you, you can have these types of conversations with kids. They can, ha- they can handle mature content when presented properly. And we've shared with her mm-hmm. that there are kids that aren't as fortunate as you, that you're lucky to have a home, right? And you're lucky to have a doll and so forth. So do you really need... 13 dolls. Yeah. No, the answer is no. Right, right. right. So she understands it and she's willing to share. So I I see that that's growing awesome. and yeah. yeah. And that's tough for kids and because you're right though you have to talk to them oh, in a yeah. way that they feel like they're part of the conversation that you that there's mutual respect because kids respond to that really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important that they they feel, feel like they're being heard in the conversation too. They do and we let her choose in the beginning yeah. how many presents she was willing to give, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then and then when she gave it, she felt this sense of goodness. Yeah. And that's so hard to describe. It's like the first time when a child figures out how to do circuitry and a light bulb pops up yeah. and you see their eyes go big and open. And it was it was that same feeling. And she realized like, oh, if I do more of this, I feel better. I feel better about myself. Yeah. So. Well, tell us about Remake Learning Days. Um, I know that's an annual. How many years has it? It's a third? So, year? yeah, they just completed their third year. And um, so, so tell me about like how it's grown a lot. It's grown a lot yeah. uh, mm-hmm. since the first inception and your first sort of concept of of having remake learning days. How has it changed, evolved as Pittsburgh has changed and evolved? It's just grown bigger. I mean, so when it started, it was just kind of whoever wants to hold an event, please hold an event during this time period for kids and families to experience STEAM learning. And now it's people emailing us saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, when are the dates for next year yeah. so we can plan for it." And it's great. I mean, I mean, this year we had over 270 events. Last wow. year we had 27,000 people come out. I expect the number to be somewhat similar this year. Um, we had wonderful teacher and community champions who were really out there telling everybody about Remake Learning Days. But, you know, I I went to several events. And to me, you know, I met this young boy who had never done any type of videography. Mm-hmm. And he was just like totally amazed that he could create his own film. Mm-hmm. And you could see him working at it and figuring out, uh, it was stop uh, motion animation, figuring out how to make things move, take a picture, stop, take a picture, take, and then you put it together and it becomes this film. And you could see the wheels turning and you could see like, ooh, that is something I could do that I didn't know I could do. And maybe I want to be a filmmaker, right? And similarly, like I saw girls doing circuitry and science experiments. And they, for the first time, were just like, I am really good at this. (laughs) And in fact, we interviewed a girl in Mm -hmm. Cornell who was like programming a Sphero ball to go through a maze. She's like, I did most of the work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was like, this is all me, which of course I just love. Which that confidence is so, so key yes. for girls, especially at the, that middle school age where like a lot of so much coming at them off. and there's so mm-hmm. much pressure and, you know, to, you know, from all angles and to have that feeling of confidence in something. But can, if you can explain just a little bit for people who aren't familiar with remake learning, give us kind of the thumbnail of of what Remake Learning is and how Remake Learning Days came to be. So Remake Learning is a network that has existed in Pittsburgh for now 10 years. It started with really informal coffee meetings where a roboticist would meet with a teacher who would meet with an artist and would talk about the future of learning and what makes sense for kids. And if you think about it, um, kids growing up today, I mean, smartphones are just 
they're, they're just normal things. Right. I mean, for somebody like me, <laughs> I remember when they came out, I'm like, whoa, what yeah. is this? Yeah. <laughs> so they're growing up in a totally time period, different time period. There's like smartphones, smart devices at home. So how do you harness that technological advance and how do you teach kids what to do? And the other thing is kids growing up today, by the time they join the workforce, you don't know what job they're going to have because 50% of those future jobs don't actually exist today. Yeah. Which is insane. So you have to think about, about like, that, yeah. how do you... How do you help kids? Yeah. How, how do you, you train help, them? How for do you this, train them? How do you prepare them for the unknown future? Yeah. And so that's what the Remake Learning Network is doing. And they also have a focus on equity, a focus on getting girls in STEAM, giving them that confidence that they can do it and be in just exposure. Exposure is what's important. So that's actually what led to Remake Learning Days is there's all this amazing work happening in Pittsburgh that mm -hmm. people kind of don't see because it's in the background. It's happening in schools and parents don't really see what's happening. So they decided to create this public festival. So over, you know, the course of like seven to 10 days, depending on which year it is, um, all these libraries and after-school centers, community centers, tech companies like Shell Games, they open their doors and they let kids come in and experience it. And more importantly, the parents and the grandparents and the caregivers all get to mm. come in and experience it. And it's it's exciting. I mean, it just, you, you, you start to see kids say, oh, I could do this. And you could start to see parents go, Oh, this isn't as scary as I thought it was going yeah. to be. And that's a big factor, right? It's an intimidation factor. Yeah. Like, you know, what don't I know that I can't, I'll, I'm not going to be able to pass on to my children. Like, there's things that they need that I can't give them. And to be able to see that in action is really powerful. Well, yeah. and I think what's important too is that a lot of these events were free or very, yeah. very low cost because not only speaking on the topic of equity, what you were saying, Kim, to your point, if, if the parents haven't got these abilities right. to teach their children these things. And they also don't have the access right. to show their the resources. Yeah, yeah. Or the resources mm -hmm. to show their children. We could be missing out on little Albert Einstein's right. or, you know, future Sally Rags. For, yeah, yeah. For future Marie Curie's. I mean, who, who, who we don't know because we're not, um, we're not giving them the, the opportunities. Right. And I feel like, unfortunately, a lot of schools that are so strapped for resources that are struggling themselves financially, especially our public schools, yeah. they're cutting arts, music, mm -hmm. and different science programs. Yep. They're cutting after-school programs. So to have things like this fill in that gap that also has the idea of being equitable yeah. is really important. And I think it's also really important that it's not trying to replace school. It's recognizing that schools... It, there's just a limit to what they right. can do. And there's some, like you said, there's gaps there there's that, gaps. that schools, I think most teachers would love to be able to, to do more than they, than they do in the classroom. But there's, there are some areas where there's a little bit of, you know, gap that needs to be filled or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, extra uh, curricular well, activity that needs to happen. And the way to think about it really is um, when you look over the course of a year and you think about all the hours kids spend less, mm. less, than half their time in school. Right. Right. Yeah, so yeah. learning happens everywhere and yeah. anywhere. It happens in school. It happens at home. Mm -hmm. It happens as you're grocery shopping. It happens when you're in a library. And so I'm not saying every single moment has to be a learning moment, right. but you do want to take um take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah. And it sounded like a lot of this stuff was fun. Yeah. Too. Oh, it was so fun. Like I'm rock right. climbing and making robots <laughs> and you know, right. just it, this stuff sounded really exciting right. and fun for kids, yeah. but also for adults. Right. It mm. was I had a blast. I enjoyed it. So. Yeah. yeah. And when kids feel like it's not really school. Exactly. Yeah. It's so it's such a mm -hmm. different level of engagement sometimes. 
And it's interesting because, you know, um, schools are starting to get away from this, but still there's still like, okay, here's science class and here's math class mm-hmm. and here's arts class. But yeah. when you get out in real life, it's not like in my job, right. I'm like, okay, now here's my science skill that I learned in science. Right. You, you put it all integration. together. Integration. Yep, integration. Yeah. So that's important too. Yeah. But I mean, I think in everything I do, I just hope that, um, you know, you, you're um, spreading kindness and that. We're creating a positive environment, whether it's for kids or for women or for colleagues, you know, and I just think life is short. There's no need to bring a lot of negativity into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and getting back to your work with Sandra Kadavid and, and the women that you work with, um, how do you see the company moving forward in the next, What what is your game plan for the next five to 10 years? Do you continue to see it to grow? Do you continue it? seeing it staying sort of this boutique experience? Or are you hoping that you can take what you've done with this company and translate that into other businesses as well? So it's interesting because we are kind of at this point in Sandra Mm -hmm. Conovey's business life where we have to make certain decisions. And I think when we first started, Sandra um, and I joined her, we talked a lot about – getting to work with like the big retailers, Mm -hmm. which has changed now. I mean, that's so different. I mean, I remember in 2014, we, Sandra went and we put together this beautiful presentation and took handbags and Sandra went and did this beautiful pitch to Henry Bendel's in New York. Mm -hmm. And at the time, like if you made it to where Henry Bendel's invited you to just make it past the first round to a a temporary trunk show, that was huge, right? And we did. We made it. And so I remember that Sandra and I were literally packing our car, getting ready to go to New York. We brought exactly what they told us to bring. We had all our business cards ready to go. We had, you know, stuff. We get this call from Henry Bendels and said, we're sorry. There's been a change in plans. We just announced worldwide that we're no longer going to continue doing um, trunk shows with independent designers. Instead, we're going to focus on our own brand. But they told us, since we already promised you a trunk show, you're more than welcome to come and do it. So we were like, well, we've already booked the hotel. We might as well go have fun. Let's do it. So we went and did it, and it was great. We got a lot of exposure in New York. Um, We had sent mailings out to all the boutiques nearby, and they came and took a look at it. And we sold product. And by the end of the weekend, you know, they don't tell you how much you have to sell. But if Mm -hmm. you surpass that expectation, then you get invited back for a second trunk show. And then eventually, if it goes well, you get invited to have a little space in their store. And so we were just like, look, we know there's nothing that's going to happen, but could you tell us, like, right? Did yeah. we, did we make it? And they're like, you passed it. Yeah. You uh, would have been invited back. So that uh, was a moment for uh, Sandra and I because we were like, okay, so this is interesting. We we do have something that could do well, and we made it in Henry Bendel's, but clearly retail's changing. Yeah, so how right. do we do this? So. Um, you know, we kind of went down the trunk show route. We also did Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. which did well and raised $40,000. And so now what we're doing is finding other women that are interested in becoming our stylists for Sandra Cotta Vive mm-hmm. and helping us get out to different parts of the world and to sell our handbags. And I'll tell you right now, every single person who has joined us has joined because we've told them about how we support other women in Colombia. So that's, that's really neat, and they're excited to do it. So our new collection will come out later, and we'll see Yay. how all of it goes. They are beautiful bags. Oh, thanks. You have gorgeous jewelry. I'm obsessed with all of it. <laughs> but what's really the main obsession is just the work that you're doing to help empower other women and just bring that voice out there that maybe would not have been heard. Yeah. 
For Thank sure. you. We have to make a Natalie and a Kim handout. <laughs> okay. Don't hers even. More, mine do not even tease me. Very okay? utilitarian. Hers would be very glam. But does she, did you see her eyes light up when you said that? I'm like, <laughs> seriously? Yeah. If you start making shoes, she might pass out. I can't help you with shoes. If I have and jewelry, No one can yes. help her with shoes. Really. No one. She's past help. But listen, thank you so much. I mean, I can't believe we got her to come on with like all that she has going I know. on. It's really Seriously. Crazy. Amazing. I love the feeling in this room. That's the idea. It's a nice safe space. Women just talk about stuff that they're interested in and you know, you have so much stuff. I know. So, You'll have to come on again. Yeah. Oh, I would Let us to. know when the collection launches. Yeah. Oh, when absolutely. we finally have a party with all our guests that we keep talking about doing, yeah. we'll definitely have to invite you. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yes. So, well, we'll thank you so much that. for coming on Dealing Beer. Thank Force you. of nature. Thank Seriously. show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.